So how, on God's gray earth, did this... And this... And even this. Now she's in me, always with me, tiny dancer in my hand. Become this. Listening to Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that stands out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, or mm, it may be their worst album. But either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. This week on the panel, we have. Logan Renard. Matthew Marr. My name is Scott Livingston. Just a quick reminder, we're on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and Linux Podcasts and Friendster and all that. So, uh, you know, review, rate, subscribe. And uh, this week on the show, we have a special guest, Dana Kane. Hello. Say hello. And uh, she is the um, co-founder or founder of Dana Kane Events, which brings you, you know, the modernist show in the Denver RetroCon and the, you know, vintage Volt show and all sorts of things. We'll definitely be sure to plug, but you know, this week we've gathered to discuss uh, Elton John's uh, shortest album. We'll give him that. It's his shortest. Thank God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, seven tracks long released in 1979. It's a victim of love. So I guess some sort of context. Um, I imagine most people know, generally who elton john is even if you didn't see the movie he's the uh piano man no <laughs> wrong wrong piano guy so the pinball wizard yes <laughs> the, the pinball wizard hmm. he was an in an odd key <laughs> you, you you're correct he's he's the piano man with the funny glasses that's uh, yeah but he's, billy joel's the piano man yes, yes don't confuse him even though they did tour together indeed but yeah billy joel wouldn't have a career if it weren't for elton john Anyone who plays piano in rock and roll wouldn't have a career without Elton John to some degree. I'd say that's true. It's it's hard to make a piano cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, this actually won't be reflected in this disco mess, but on the rest of Elton's work, I mean, it makes sense. The piano is kind of, especially the upright piano, is sort of the original rock and roll instrument. 
and you know all those oh, Chuck sure. Berry guitar licks are derived right from piano stuff so it was just before guitars were electrified it was the thing you could hear over loud well, drums and it's what would be in every bar really. and what would be in every bar so there's a fitting thing with elton being the you know rock and roll madman piano player i mean you get like jerry lee lewis and stuff like that and little richard was, little richard yeah yeah well, right. and in the 70s, when I was in love with Elton John, I, I, I play piano too. And so for me, in the 70s, I had my keyboard gods. Yeah. The keyboard gods of the 70s. Number one, Elton John. Number two, Rick Wakeman. Of course. Number three, Keith Emerson. No, there you go. And then a little later, Billy Preston. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. They're... So there were some good ones. They were in rock and roll, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really until the 70s that the electric guitar really kind of stamped. I know there were awesome keyboard players throughout the 70s and stuff, but I mean, the the guitar god as an idea was this like late 60s kind of like new thing because before that, like horns were big, piano was rock and roll. The electric guitar wasn't really a big deal until... It, you know, people started bending strings and being Jimmy able to be Page. really loud. <laughs> um, and so I, I think the piano gets kind of forgotten as the original badass no, rock and roll. I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, Elton in the 70s was pretty untouchable for a good long stretch. But Liberace. Um, <laughs> Well, that's a different comparison that we will deal with later. But I'm sure he was an influence on Elton. I oh, mean, yeah. Good I mean, Lord. Just how the could he not be? Buoyant, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, the, between the two of them consumed 90% of the world's rhinestones in 1970. <laughs> right. Their outfits are more rock and roll than most. Yes. Did Elton have a piano-shaped swimming pool? It, he could have if he wanted to. I don't know if he decided to go that far, but he could have. The swimming pool shaped piano. That's what I was going to say. As so many pianos, I just watched a show the other night um, called The Million Dollar Piano. And Yamaha has now made Elton this million dollar piano. And he was saying it has a glass top. And in case he gets bored, they put an aquarium for fish. Oh. Inside the front of the piano, so if he got bored, he could look at the fish. I wonder how that affects the the, <laughs> the, 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 the timbre, yeah. And 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 the side that faces the audience, the wavy yeah. grand piano side. It's it's like a movie screen, so he can flash up different images, like a yellow brick road or a a crocodile. Or it's pretty freaky. Or a Captain Fantastic, <laughs> right? Or a victim of love. Oh, <laughs> there geez. we go. Because, you know, as successful as he was by, what, 76, he put out Blue Moves, which was the first album that really didn't do as well as the first. Well, it only, saying it didn't do well, Comparatively, it only got up to number three. Yeah. I mean, it's because, personally my favorite Elton album. But. Yeah, so what, what, some of the ones before that were Goodbye Yellow Book Road, yeah. Captain Fantastic. Um, um, Mad Men's and, or what, Mad Men Across the Water. Mad Men Across the Water. Yeah. These were all, like, Gazillion albums, sellers, right? yeah. yeah. Well, in, yeah, in 1969, that was his first one, Empty Sky. Yeah. But he, it, he didn't really hit in the U.S. until your song in 1970. And that was on the album that was just called Elton John. It was very creative. And then there was Tumbleweed Connection, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. My first album that I ever bought was Honky Chateau, yeah. which had Rocket Man on it. So, yeah. And Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. I mean, two of my 
favorites. So he had a good long stretch until yeah. Blue Moves. And even that one had sorry is the hardest word or something. That was right. a minor hit. But he'd, he'd writ, hit something of a wall. So he did his first album without his band. Without his, Bernie. Without Bernie. It was called Single Man. Yeah. So who's Bernie? Bernie Taupin oh. is the guy who writes the words. Elton, for some reason, is not a lyricist. And he doesn't write his own songs? He <laughs> writes his songs. He just doesn't I don't understand. Parts. Elton, well, and, and well, how, how often is this happening? Not often, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Bernie, Bernie, and, and Bernie and Elton are like, um, you know, uh, Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, Jaggers and Peanut butter and, and jelly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're like soup and sandwich. Yeah. But everybody, do y'all know the story about how they got together and how that all started? No. Or is this podcast going to be too long if I tell every little Elton John story no, I know? No, we, we, um, we, can, we can handle okay, it. Okay, so, 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 when, so when Elton was very young, living in, in, um, in England, he put an ad in a paper saying that he needed a lyrics writer, and Bernie answered it. And Elton said that when he read Bernie's lyrics, that he just automatically heard the music. And, you know, I mean, a lot's been said about Bernie, but Bernie, um, Bernie and Elton, I mean, Bernie and Elton, they did all those albums together. Don't Shoot Me, Hunky Sh- I mean, all of them. Yeah. Up to Caribou, the whole bit. And a lot of people, a lot of, you know, just Bernie's lyrics alone could be a podcast. Yeah. Because, I mean, some people just say, he's fantastic, he's one of the best lyricists ever, and other people say... Good Lord, can you imagine trying to write music when you when your lyrics are like I feel like a bullet in the gun of Robert Ford? You know, that was on Rock of the West. Yeah. But it's like some of I mean, Bernie's lyrics are they tell stories. Yeah. Not like just your random love song. Oh, and some of them are yeah, quite poetic, quite Oh yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but for some reason, Elton decided that... They were ready for a break. Yeah, he'd just gotten bored, so he did Single Man, which he did without Bernie, and it did even worse than Blue Moves. So um, then he tried to do an album with Tom Bell that he didn't even finish. I think an EP of like three songs came out, and it was Philly Soul. But the interesting thing there is he wasn't writing or playing piano on that one. He was trying to be just a vocalist, just fitting Mm. in, and... Instead of learning his lesson from that, he decided to de- dive even deeper into the world of disco. Do dun, we know dun, dun. how much of this was um, Elton's idea or maybe record company idea? Or I'm not sure it matters one way or the other, but I'm just sort of curious if he was thrust in this direction. I mean, can we talk about that just for a second? Yeah. Um, look, I was in 1976 is sort of when disco exploded. Yes. Um, I, I think around, around that year. Approximately. And, and uh, I, uh, um, I, I was, uh, I was 10 years old at the time and I remember riding my bike all around and you could not get away from a, from a disco song. It was, it was everywhere 24 seven. It was, um, um, uh, a musical phenomenon. It was a cultural phenomenon and it seemed like, like disco bands were just popping up, out of nowhere. Yeah. It's uh, the only thing I can think of reminiscent of this is um, um, after, you know, later after Nirvana broke, then all of a sudden everyone wanted to sign a Seattle band, but this was bigger than that. Oh yeah. I mean, disco was way bigger than that. And, and uh, um, you know, so, so it could be just, you're sort of in it. Why not do it? But there were other bands, you know, like um, 
the Rolling Stones, they would do a disco song yes. and get a hit out of it. Elton went all in. Yeah. This is far more disco-y than, I mean, Kiss did a disco album too, didn't they? Yes, they Dynasty. did. Well, no, no, same with them. They did a disco, disco song, song, right? Yes. On, right. A lot of bands did. The Kings yeah. had like Superman and uh, I think Paul McCartney had Goodnight Tonight. It was a thing that, yeah. But even Superman, when they play it live, it was more of a rock song, not, yeah. a, not a disco song. But, you know, so that was a production choice by whomever. Yeah. Like, um, let's try to get the Kinks a hit. But in, in dance clubs where you were likely to dance to disco music, I mean, isn't this kind of the the beginning of, like, 12-inch singles being huge where, like... Oh yeah, it's a it's a song. It's a fine song, but there's like eight minutes of the bridge or the run out after the song, and that's the song. Oh yeah, um, the Beach uh, Boys had a disco remix of one of their songs that went on for ten minutes. With it's not super hard to kind of disco fi yeah you a just, tune. And, all it takes is the right the right drums and maybe the right bass line. Yeah, and it's disco. So <laughs> it's bass. not really that um, distance from funk. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it pretty much is. Right. It's kind of really boring, stupid funk. <laughs> it's kind of like funk for white suburbanites. It, exactly. If you took all the if you took all the cool stuff out of <laughs> funk, you know what at the time, yeah, was funk or or you know rhythm and blues kind of dance music, and you really pressed it into a you know extruded play doh like shape. And uh, well, there's uh, both the the uh, catering to the lowest common denominator but i think also your mention of clubs i think that was a big driving force as well it's it's um we want people in the clubs how can we keep them there well, um, and that was the plan is put everything at exactly 120 beats per minute yep. you can segue from one song to the next without having a a moment of silence for you know eight 12 hours however long people at you know studio 54 were up on their coke I was in college at that time um, in New Orleans in the late 70s. And let me tell you, man, I mean, my my impression of disco is I freaking love disco. And I always have my my disco gods are um, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah, and the they Fijis. were huge. Both of those. And those when, are the two, really. Yeah. Right. And when Saturday Night Fever was released... In, in December 77, yeah. that really was the, I mean, after that, it was like 1978 was just, and 79, but I'm sure later we'll talk about the death of disco, which ironically happened right after Elton released this album. Yeah, a lot of people were very poor <laughs> but, choices in their timing of disco releases. But this, but when, when it was out, man, I mean, I was one of the people dancing yeah. at those clubs. Well, and it was, I was ubiquitous. Doing the bump, people loved it. Doing, yeah, my brother it was had great. A, my brother had a bumper sticker on his car that said, um, um, it said, Oh, oh, um, uh, support live music, stamp out disco. Well, that, I was going to bring yeah. that up. Haters, from the club, haters from the, gotta hate. Yeah. From the club standpoint, disco was a way that you could move away from having to pay a live band yeah, to perform yeah. all night. And so I think, you know, the, uh, the bad reaction to it is not just this kind of homogenized, predigested thing. Um, uh, substitute for live music, but just, you know, people were pissed that they were probably losing work as bands and, yeah, and yeah. that there was, you know, it's, it's all kind of the same. Does it, could you listen to a couple, you could listen to tunes on this album for a while. If nobody told you this was the Elton John 
Yeah. You know, it's not immediately. I mean, think of how immediately identifiable, like all other Elton John stuff is, but this, you can listen, you can find a lot of time on this record where she's like, that's some disco thing. Well, and disco was primarily a, a producer's genre as opposed to a musician's, which is why you have so many one hit wonders that came and went during the time of disco. Cause it was mostly about Giorgio Moroder. Or, right. Right. Or, um, you know, well, it's also either coming out of LA or out of New York and it's the same, like dozen people yeah, pl- Morales, like, performing all the music. Vance McCoy. Yeah. All well, those guys. in this case, it's Pete Bellot. Yeah. Right. Who worked with Giorgio Moroder for he, a while. Pete Bellot and Elton John had been friends since the sixties. Right, Elton's yeah. old band Bluesology had been playing in the same clubs as Pete Bellot's band at the time. Yeah. But in 1979, Pete Bellot was coming off of the string of big hits with Donna yeah. Summer. Yeah, he co-wrote like Hot Stuff and uh, Right, and I and, Feel Love and Love and, to Love You, Baby, and Yeah, wow. right. So right. He was, he was so a name he was doing in the disco. Donna Summer, yeah, and um, he's a hit maker. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they decided to work together, and he actually gave Elton the chance to you know write some for it, or you know play some stuff on it. But Elton <laughs> decided, I don't Elton know this. Was, Elton really wanted to finish up his contract with is it pronounced Uni or UNI? His American yeah. record label, yeah. right? And um, he and he thought, ha ha. Here's a chance for me to crank out an album yeah. on that label I want to get rid of with minimal effort. Yeah, just yeah. show up and so do the vocals is, in an hour. And <laughs> it's really an Elton John album in name only. Yeah, there's yeah. no Bernie. He didn't write anything. He doesn't even play piano. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, so I think I was wrong sings. when I said he was all in. Uh, I guess I was thinking because it's it's a complete disco album. All yes. of the songs are are definitely in that genre. Yeah, no one's gonna mistake but, this. But it sounds like he was kind of um, more. Um, an afterthought. Wait, wait, it's like, well, this <laughs> is selling at the time. Let's just do this and get it over with, and we'll move on to something else. Yeah. Right? But, you know? it, but, it, but I should say this though: Elton did love disco. Yeah, I mean, Elton's always loved. He he he's he's a, he's a a real musician. He's a real authentic music lover. He loved yeah. disco. But I, do we want to talk about one of the reasons he was sort of? Tired, or are we going to save that for later? You're going to edit we, this, right? Yeah, we can jump right in, though. Might as well. There, there's only seven tracks, so let's... <laughs> All right, so at some point, I want to talk about the cool thing Elton did in 79. Yeah, because was, this is like the worst thing Elton did in 79, was, yeah. was Victim of Love, I think. But the coolest thing he did, do you all know what Elton was doing in May of 1979? No. He toured... The USSR. Oh, he was like yeah. the first, like real big. I think I pop remember star that. Yes, to yeah. tour, and he did like eight concerts in two cities. It was Moscow and Leningrad, and you know it was huge. I mean, Cliff Richard had been there before him, but let's face it, that's not Elton yeah, that John. Doesn't count. <laughs> that's not Elton. That's not seventies Elton John. No. So so Elton, and it was the single man tour. Yeah. Actually, and um, the crowds went 
completely, totally freaking bonkers. Well, so much so that after his first concert in Leningrad, the Russian authorities had to tell him, you've got to tone it down. They said, don't play the piano so so energetically and don't don't kick away your piano bench and you know and don't yeah they were they really laid the hammer down on on a lot of stuff and including they said and don't play he is he was doing a cover version of back to the ussr as an encore and they're like don't do that well see there there we go that's something evangelical southerners and the soviet (laughs) union officials have in common right the communist party is um rock and roll scary dangerous but, must suppress. But honestly, for people who are interested in that, uh, that latest Elton John album release, which was just released, I think, last, late last year, yeah. they finally released the live... Uh, live recordings from the Russian tour, from the cool. from the from the USSR tour in the seventies, live yeah. from Russia. I only think they were officially recorded. It was just secret police tapes that they cobbled together. Right, <laughs> so right. So a secret official recording, exactly. But after that tour, then the Russian government gave permission for him to release an album. Yeah. It was the first like official rock Rock, album that was released in Russia. Because before that, if you wanted to get an Elton John album in the USSR, you'd have to pay like 70, 80 bucks for it. Oh, yeah. And risk your life in some cases. I mean, (laughs) this was the height of the Cold War, or at least part of it. Well, yeah, they were in detente at the moment. But still, yeah, that was... um, so, and he did that really cool thing, which he said was like the coolest thing he'd ever done. Yeah. And then he turns around and... And takes I a guess, break. <laughs> I guess he decides to just, okay, I'll just mail this one in and it'll well. be good because it's disco. And I mean, you know, people like disco, people like Elton, but it's like, you know, I like guacamole and I like butterscotch, but you shouldn't always <laughs> yeah. combine yeah. them. No, no. You I'm shouldn't the... combine them. Yeah, Elton you... is not suited for disco. Yeah, you know, uh, and like I was saying, there's a lot of, a lot of at the time, a lot of people were sticking their toe in the, yeah, in the disco waters, the... like Blondie. You know, Blondie had a hit with Heart of Glass. and uh, Yeah, but she was a lot more of that era and a lot more... Oh yeah. sure, sure, yeah. but she, but she was she was kinda, she was definitely coming out of a punk world though. Right. So, yeah. so I'm just saying that that you had rockers, you had punk Rod punk Stewart rockers. Was doing, you know, do you think yeah, I'm sexy? Right, right. You know, so so there there was a lot of a lot of this sort of thing going on. It's just it's just I don't I don't know how to explain why this is. I'll just say it so bad. <laughs> yeah, I. I concur, and I like I said, I love I, Elton and I love disco, but no. I and I don't even think it's Elton's fault. I mean, if you'd switch oh, the vocalist, it wouldn't have changed anything. Mm. It probably would have made it less interesting. So I think we're in an era of of you know big time, big record business oh, control yeah. of stuff. Um, you know, maybe one of the you know definitely like one of the one of the heights of of big record label stuff. And I think a lot of these big record labels were like, hey, you know. People we have, we yeah. artists we own, uh, make a disco record. I, I think there really were a lot of them that were probably, you know, these these seemingly cash grabby disco things were likely not uh, an artist choice to to do this. I think it, um, I, it seems a lot like a producer or somebody was like pointing a gun, hey, or at least yeah, strongly encouraging. Hey, Blondie just had a disco hit. Why don't you try? Did you Willie know? Nelson have a disco album? 
No, Ethel Merman did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't really her decision either, but um, we may cover that in a future episode. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's like a, a, a precedent for these cash grabby yeah. disco. It's not a disco album. It's like a disco themed album. But from, it did come out like just two, three months before the 80s hit. And man, disco was as passe as one could get. Come 1980. Well, talk about bad timing. So this album dropped in October of 1979. Yeah. Less than a month later, in November of 1979, in Chicago, who remembers this? They had that famous disco demolition, death of disco event in a huge stadium in Chicago where they officially declared disco dead. The reaction, yes. and and The backlash was swift and complete. (laughs) That gave Elton's album like less than a month of like, you know, prime disco time before its death was official. (laughs) Well, should we dive into this album such as it is? Uh, I think... Track one, for no good reason, is an eight-minute cover of Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. some thoughts on this right off the bat so the whole thing is let's move elton up into the future let's move elton up into the disco era yeah and the album starts off with a song from the 50s where you're not moving him forward you're moving him backwards yes you know and i mean everybody loves this song but it's been done just because johnny be good doesn't mean johnny needs to be eight minutes long no (laughs) it would be fun to hear him playing piano on this song yeah I could hear Elton right. doing a cover of this, yeah, yeah. just not like this. This is this whole thing seems like carry, Elton John karaoke because it's basically yeah. what it is, right? 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 He just came in and, and recorded to pre-recorded tracks. So I wonder what Pete, the producer, was thinking when he did a version of this. Do you think Elton would like it more than the originals, or? And why be the lead song? Yeah, this is an odd one to start with. This is it sure there, is. There's a million covers of this damn song. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, this is the only one At I can think of that I really don't like. It's over <laughs> eight minutes long. I cannot stress that enough. It is, that a, is so not necessary. It's a rock and roll song about rock and roll, done in a non rock and roll <laughs> style about a guy who plays guitar, which features a lengthy saxophone solo. Everything about it is just wrong. It's sung by a with keyboard a, guy. With right. a little bit of the slap bass going oh, dude, There's uh, more than a yeah, little slap bass going on. I address that. I put this on, and within like the first 20 seconds, I was like, oh, fucking Marcus. So this is Marcus Miller plays bass on this. And Does he really? Yeah, he's kind of... the best thing about the album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I like Marcus's playing a lot. Like, he's a great... Yeah, he's like, fantastic. But he was one of the main influences in this very New York sort of uh, mid-scoopy, active, jazz-based, slappy thing. Um, And as a Sessions dude who played on just a million records and TV jingles and all kinds of things like that, he's everywhere. And this 
it sounds like 1979. It sounds like 1980 because of that, that bass tone, which was new and novel and cool. And I just, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's cool. It is definitely the coolest thing about this album for me, but, uh, Boy, the 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 legion of of uh, mid scooped active bass slapper tapper idiots out there that he inspired is you know problematic. It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you say that too because it kind of it it kind of sounds like a commercial almost like that kind of it, it does it, you it, know every production. every eighties uh, 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 TV jingle or radio jingle that has some some bright slappy bass guitar going on it. it it's likely this guy. Um, well, he, he played with Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis. And- yeah. Yeah. He was, well, and you know, I I've tried to really like his stuff with miles, but <laughs> I know, man, I can't believe you're dissing on the one thing I like about this. Yeah, album yeah. Is the bass. Uh, no, no, I, I like it a lot. I just like, I, like I said, I just, the, uh, some of the stuff he inspired, you know, uh, he he can do it great. Just because he can well, do it great doesn't mean everybody else speak, should try to. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is completely unrelated. Other than the the same thing happened to Eddie Van Halen, right? He had a, an amazing, unique kind of thing going on in the '80s. It was everywhere. Everything was doing some. Well, I mean, cheese old variation yeah, of that. that Hendrix. Um, yeah, it's it's the it's the Jimi Hendrix problem. It's yeah. like I love 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 Jimi Hendrix, but. Never heard I, of it. I don't. I don't need to. Scott doesn't own a single record. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, just the generations now of people who've tried to play just like them, like make me sad. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you can still lick here or there. Just that person has their own thing that's like super duper uniquely them, and, right. and it's like stop and, trying to do exactly. And what's cool about them is that they were unique. So, yeah, yeah. so it seems if you wanted to copy that, you would copy the unique part of it. Yeah, but, but um, that's but, hard. Uh, but that's like you know, but you know, getting back to the Elton thing, I think that's that's it too. Is Elton John is unique. Yeah, and you can definitely hear his voice. I mean, that's Elton, Elton for sure. But a lot of what, he's, but his voice without the big. Right. Energetic, you know, a uh, grand piano is it? It's it's like there's something missing, and yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. he would have been so good playing piano on this album. And as I listened to the Even album, just a I found bit. myself hearing in my mind his piano parts because yeah. I know how he would have done. I think you know, and it would have added so much. Oh, a tiny bit of it would have gone. It would have really so made it sound more like an Elton John album. I guess what I meant to say about like Marcus and the bass playing is that he was very prolific in the eighties. And so it kind of got out of control. Yeah. Well, and, and I, that's the thing is this album is 35 minutes long and it feels much longer because there's not a lot of change. Yeah. There's no dynamics. There's no, that, that was my, my key um, observation going through all of these. It's, it's a tempo wise feel wise, um, sort of vocal delivery, which is, which, you know, I think it's pretty strong on this first track. It's all very, um, similar. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's better. It's not just similar. It's the same. Did y'all know they actually released this as a single, the Johnny B. Good? Yeah. It was the second single after the. It was put out as a single after Victim of Love. I know. I I don't think either did really well, but. uh, Victim of Love charted. I know that. I mean, it was in the hot 100 for a while. Yeah. And, but- you know, even, even even though this is a disco album, they say this is a disco version of it, you know, it doesn't sound 
so much disco to me as it sounds like a horse galloping. I mean, yeah. is that just me? No, I think when you're you right. It's, it's, not it, an, it's not it enough disco. It sounds like a galloping horse yeah. more than, you know, like a disco hit. A horse galloping for, may I add, over eight minutes. Again, eight minutes. Well, th- <laughs> thankfully, none of the other songs are quite that long, but they all are longer than they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we want to go on to the next one? The first, yes. uh, quote-unquote, original? <laughs> Warm we- love in a cold world. Oh. Uh, go go oh. listen to uh, Peter Tosh doing Johnny Be Good. Or- <laughs> there you go. Or anyone. Buck Owens. Or- Chuck Berry. <laughs> yeah. I saw him do it live in the Autodome in the 70s. Yeah. Just go to a high school talent show. I'm sure someone will be playing Johnny Be Good better. <laughs> in a cold world. I would like to be the first to acknowledge that I really don't like this song. And, you know, maybe it's not a coincidence that this was Elton John's 13th studio album. Yeah. 13. Bad luck. Yeah. Was it really? He had already done... this is he'd already done twelve albums, studio yeah. albums, yeah. yeah, right, and so in less than ten years, yeah, essentially. Well, back in those days, you could put put out more than one album a year. Yeah, it was ten years because his first one was nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of output, though. Yeah, yeah. and most of them were pretty good. I mean, you know, most of I them mean, were great. I'm saying, you yeah. know, Led Zeppelin's entire career is eight albums, indeed. And, you know, um, The Doors, was four it, or five, five, I think. Yeah, yeah. So. Even the Velvet Underground only had like five. One of those was Squeeze, which we don't need to talk about again. Thank you. So, so that is that definitely has more of a disco feel. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's far more of like say the ABBA, you know, Swedish disco. That's a good that's a good comparison actually. Yeah, you know, yeah, anything urban. It's very sweet. There's nothing. There's nothing. um, Look, the title of the song is. Warm love, love in, a in a cold world. world. Right, right. And it's like, but you don't really get any feel of a cold world. There's no. nothing sort of sad or minor or or dangerous. Boy, or, I love or, it when the song titles are way more substantive than the, the right. song. <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's, it's kind of catchy, but I mean, that's really what distinguishes a, a big disco song from a, a weak disco song is something. There's a hook. It's, yeah, YMCA that you can't get out of your head for years and years. I mean, this doesn't have that oh yeah i can't believe we have not mentioned the village people until now oh yeah, yeah. We, well <laughs> stay tuned there might be more village people coming up we, we keep kind of circling around this idea that like about disco that the thing that we're all cranky about is the the sameness the the repetition and the predictability but that's also that's it's like it's it the worst thing about it is also the the best thing about it and so it's it's this paradox of yeah, it's lame, but it'll never surprise you. It'll be exactly what you expect. It is consistent, but you know, if you're consistent and bad, then you're consistently bad. Well said. <laughs> there is. What's that? Um, what's that line from Spinal Tap? It's a thin line between it's clever and stupid. Clever and stupid, or something like yes. that. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, <laughs> I feel I love pump and D I feel minor. I feel that like that with this album is that there is there is disco that even the most jaded person will start tapping their foot to, oh, yeah. right? Because it's just a or bending their knees a little um, because it's just a it's infectious. It feels good. It makes you feel good. But but there's a line there that this album doesn't seem to cross. Yeah, but um, when I make personal, you know, probably top five 
uh, you know, base heroes as Bernard Edwards from from Chic, um, who played on a lot of the best disco. The Chic, the freak, and uh, is just there. He's a great example of how you can sneak all kinds of really musically clever stuff into a predictable and repetitive song. You know, for those who want to listen more carefully, there's interesting stuff in there. Well, yeah, um, and that's the thing is, as robotic as disco is, it's still being made by human beings who yeah. are working really, really hard to be that. Yes, this is this is pre, um, you know, drum machine. At least the ubiquitous nature yeah. of the drum machines. This is pre sequencing. This is pre um, quantizing of right, right, beats exactly. Or, quantizing yeah, of is, beats. This is um, a band likely mostly live performing an eight-minute song within you know half a beat per minute kind of margin of tempo. Yeah, yeah and. That's hard to do. Like the, all it's these a, guys were real badass at doing that. It's just they should have employed it in a more useful direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, guys, we're sitting here passing judgment on disco while we're sitting in our chairs in a studio. I mean, True. we yes. might like it better. Scott does have a, a mountain we of cocaine in front of us. In a club with a disco ball <laughs> oh, turning yeah. in front of it, turning up over our heads, and we were dancing. White suit. Doing the bump, doing whatever. Doing bumps. Uh, it, it might sound a lot, lot better, but right well, and now. That's, that was the point of disco music. It wasn't for listening, butts. it was for dancing. Yeah. 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 You're, absolutely, so, you're absolutely right. It's not gonna, this is, we are not the target market right no. now. So well, that's, I, I already mentioned my, my brothers, quite a bit older than me, uh, musicians, but, um, you know, hated, hated disco, right? So, of course, I had to hate disco, too. I think one, one thing that, that um, led me to think there might be something else going on here is one of my heroes, um, Frank Zappa. It turns out, the, the, I thought, the last person you would expect to like disco, he really liked disco. Yeah. And apparently, when they had off nights, when they were on the road, he would grab whoever he could get from the band to go take him to a disco. And they would sit there, and he would observe, and he loved the people, and he would write songs about them, and oh, yeah. um, he thought it was a great source of, of he thought it was a great um, um, anthropological study. It was a dancing oh, fool, yeah. right? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. know, ob- observing observing the people that inhabited uh, discos and the like, you know. And so, so it's like, yeah, it was you know, cool. Yeah, it was cool to hang out in in them in the seventies. And just people watch. Well, you know, having been born in the 70s and not really experiencing it firsthand, I remember in the 80s, that's all people thought the 70s were was, you know, Saturday Night Fever and disco. And it it took a long time to realize, oh, no, there was other stuff going on at that time. There was Led Zeppelin. There There was was, Pink Floyd. There was, yeah. There was the Carpenters. Yeah, I remember when, you know, that 70s show came out and I'm like, oh, you know, there was rock in the 70s? How weird. It took me a while to realize that, you know, because disco was so ubiquitous and the hatred of disco was so ubiquitous, that's what I sort of glossed the whole 70s I will, as. I will back that up, too. I think a lot of my friends in the 80s, they, they look back and they'd say, oh, the 70s sucked. I just, I hated the 70s, you know, in terms of music. Yeah. And and then when Dazed and Confused came out, they're like, oh, like, yeah, there was some cool stuff. Yeah, right. BTO. So, no, it was, a, it was Grand Funk Railroad. In a lot of ways, it was a golden age for rock music. It totally know. was. And in the 80s, I, I was in a few um, pretty high-level arguments about the 70s. And there were times when I felt like I was like the only defender of the 70s. 
during the whole decade of the 80s. And now I feel totally vindicated because now everybody realizes, holy crap, man, what a great decade for music. Oh, yeah, and you were right. You know, you had so many genres that peaked and genres that were born. You know, rap was born then. Punk was born then. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless you take it all the way back. But you know what I mean. Yeah, everything has its roots somewhere. Right, right. And alongside Donna Summer, you had like... Patty Smith. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, even so. Yacht Rock is starting to have like something of a reassessment lately. People are like, mm. Michael McDonald wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we may not agree with them, but it is a thing that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah there, you know, right. There's there, a, there was something for everyone's taste, I suppose. There is the, the angle of uh, if you're a fan of like, you know, punk music and I mean, anything that might have been a reaction to disco. Well, if you don't have disco, then you don't have like awesome prog rock or this ain't no disco disco jazz fusion or, you know, it's just all kinds of stuff like that. It, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be better if it never was. You and know, well, like, yeah. But, and getting back to Blondie, you know, she was one of the people that basically took disco and helped it morph into new wave. Yeah. Because, Disco didn't really die. It just evolved. Well, yeah. I mean, if you listen to, like, the Spice Girls, that's basically disco for the 90s. Oh, yeah. You know, I would I would argue even really heavy bands like like Ministry are disco. Yeah. Yeah. They have a, a disco know, it, it, beat. It, it's and, old. It's, and they actually do use a drum a, machine. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I mean, like, look at EDM. Like, what was the first music that was made just for no other purpose besides to dance to? That would be, yeah, disco. You know? Uh-huh. And it, it kind of, it, it sort of <laughs> paved the way for music that was just for that, just about that. Yeah. You know, it like it was like, you know, with disco, it's like, if it's got a good beat and you can dance to it, that's the prime directive. Yeah. And that's moved forward. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, if it was the only kind of music, it would suck. But well, and I think that's what people were complaining about at the time is there wasn't it felt like the only thing being made, but it wasn't clearly. It, was just, no. too, it hey, just was hard you know, to avoid. This is um, just an, an analogy. Um, I remember this quite vividly for some reason. Uh, 76 was also the year that star Wars came out. I think, 77, know, 77. Okay. 77 yeah. star Wars came out. And I remember um, uh, in my grade school, so I must've been in sixth grade perhaps. Right. And, and uh, everyone before the winter break, was Star Wars this, Star Wars that, everything. And then after the break, they're taking their Star Wars shit off of their cubbies and the like because it would just been so oversaturated. Oh, yeah. They just, they just couldn't. They just, it was just like, that's for kids. I'm growing up. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Right. And I think that's what happened to disco is it would just, it got so big, so fast. Don't forget it, the disco star Wars yeah. album. Oh, yeah, there, was, uh, there we go. <laughs> there was a star right? Wars yeah, yeah. disco album. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the same sort of thing happened with kiss as well. Right. Yeah. You know, at, around the exact same time period, it was this, this, Oh, they're so great. Oh, evil, <laughs> evil heavy metal band. And then they just exploded. And then it was like the backlash came, yeah. you know, and it was, um, you know, um, just not interested anymore. And I think that happened to a lot. Um, I know we have a lot more songs to listen to. I'm wondering. Not really, only five. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's all kind of the same song. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if, if, if y'all want to go into this at all. I'm not sure. I don't have a, a big handle on this, but I'm wondering if there isn't some kind of um, uh, uh, racial component to the backlash of disco. Well, yeah, because it was considered 
black music to some degree, despite, you know, the number of white, white people that were involved in making it. uh, It was also definitely a a gay culture thing. And I think eventually people figured out what YMCA meant and right. And so, so maybe, maybe there was, you know, it was this cultural backlash and I I, I imagine a lot of people weren't even sure why they hated it, but I bet, but I bet there was a, a big element of that. It's like, it's threatening, it's yeah, threatening who I think I am. There's shiny gay men dancing we're, together, and they're tall and they're black, and I feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But, well, I also, I mean, really uptight people might also be like, "Well, this is this music's all about drinking and drugging and partying and yeah. having weird sex and stuff." Studio I, I think like that's, that's the scene, and so we don't like it because it's, it's that whole kind of cultural conservatist conservatism. I right. think would fit right in. It's the same with thing all that of those pisses things. the well, same was, people off about rock and roll. Yeah. I was in the deep south at the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember anybody complaining about about it being too non too black. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was I was in the middle of that, but then I mean I am kind of oblivious, but. I mean, honestly, when I was, you know, the people that I knew that hated it, they hated it because they liked rock and roll. They that liked could, rock yeah. and roll. They'd come out of the 60s. They loved guitars. Led they Zeppelin, were, their guitars were being Floyd, threatened. <laughs> Beatles. What is this crap? You yeah. know, well, I never heard anybody yeah. say, oh, it's not white enough. No, right? that's, that's, good to, that's good to know. I, I was thinking, I wasn't even thinking of the South. I was thinking more of Chicago in particular. Um, but we but, had just as many blacks as Chicago. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> I, would, I would think so. That, but I, I uh, you know, there, there's this weird kind of, um, uh, you know, and, and like I said, you know, it's like uh, I might be, I might be going off in a, in a, in a, an uninteresting tangent. But, but it just seems to me that that in a, you know, sort of an industrial town like Chicago, and then and then you sort of have this failing infrastructure that people are being laid off of work and all of that, and then you have all this glitz from disco, and then you combine that with the rock and rollers that want to, you know, they want to go with, you know, Ted Nugent, the Motor City Madman, right? I've heard Bruce a lot Springsteen. of people say that it was to... Bruce Springsteen that killed Disco. Okay, yeah, or he even, totally even, fits in with that argument. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? And so, so I don't, I, I don't like, so when I said yeah. race, I don't, I, I race, I, I wasn't saying necessarily that that there were racist people, like I hate black music, but it was more that that this kind of culture that, that existed All at the time. All this fanciness from New York City. Right, right. Ended New up, York ended up being, City. Directed towards this, this, uh, yeah, these um, very glamorous, glitzy, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And, and and of course, you know, like Logan was saying, that um, disco comes out of funk, yeah. which was a yeah, profoundly James, black James Brown's not necessarily yeah, doing his best shit ever, but he's still around. And uh, and Parliament is, or, you know, any of the George Clinton stuff is really kicking ass around this time, like. I I tend to think of this with from the racial component as this is this has been sanitized so that anyone who might have be uneasy about it being you know black people music or something they're you know it's sanitized enough so they were like yeah okay I'm I'm cool with this now. You yeah, know. what if it was like that, except it was done by the Bee Gees? Would Indeed. you like it then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Casey exactly. and the Sunshine Band. There you go. The Wild Sunshine Cherry. Band. Well, you know, the Casey, this is, this is something, just to show you how naive I was, uh, I think it was the Grammys, Casey and the Sunshine Band, they won the Grammy, right, for yeah. um, Shake Your Booty, I think. Um, and and uh, they, they won in the soul category. And I remember I, I turned to like, I think I was watching it with my sister and I didn't, you know, I was just so young. I was just like, what's soul? 
And and he's like, well, that's black music. And I looked at it. I was like, Casey's white. And I was like, like, wh- I mean, it just was so confusing to me. Like, what is going on? Play that funky music, <laughs> white but, boy. But, you know, but his band was black. Yeah. So, or, or at and least there's, more than half the band was. I know? mean, I, I'm sure in the, in the past couple of years, there's been just a ton of documentaries about house bands, the Wrecking Crew, the Funk Brothers, all that stuff, and 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 how like. Uh, you know, and, and they're, they're house bands for a lot of this disco stuff. I mean, it's Steve Gadd playing on drums on like most of his stuff. Uh, uh, the, the guys from Chic are on just tons and tons of music. And so, I mean, it's kind of this hit machine that's cranking stuff out. But during the, the Wrecking Crew documentary, um, you know, I forget who it was. You know, Hal Blaine or somebody brought up the fact that it's like, I wonder if all the, and this is in the 60s and early 70s, but. They were like, I wonder how many of these countercultural weirdos who hate their parents and everything old know that their favorite music's actually being recorded by a multi generational, multi racial, you know, multi you know, right, right, <laughs> mixed right. gender band. You know, it's like with half of the people being their parents' age. You well, know, and, and it's and like yeah. it's they're selling. It's the packaging, I guess, is what we're getting at. It's it's it's. Well, and, 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 it's how it's packaged. Yeah, it is. It is, is whether the, you're going to buy it or not. It is the packaging, <laughs> but it's also something that I think is really cool about disco and a lot of rock and roll too. Is that it really did seem to you know it comes out of this um, uniquely, um, although you know of course there's other influences, but uniquely American kind of music and this blending of cultures. And then when it hits the mass market, right? You know, of course it's got to, it's got to go for where the people are spending the money. Yeah. Right. You have to make the appeal to them, but nonetheless, it, it like, it's grabbing all of these different influences together. And, um, I think it's, uh, you know, that's the discos, you know, that's to its credit. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, shall we go on to Born Bad? If we have to. <laughs> Best title on, on this. We're just avoiding the album itself any way we can. Not to be confused with Born to Be Bad. No. Born Bad. Dude, anybody could sing over this. Like, yeah. they could mute Elton and put any other singer in this, and it would be... I wonder if people lot had just had these laying around and was like, oh, you want to do a, a, a disco out, John? Will Wolves dig up I, some I remember um, in the early 80s, a buddy of mine, his dad bought this um, organ. Yeah. It was called a fun machine. And I, <laughs> and I swear there was a button you could press that would create this rhythm track. And then, and then you could play the fun over oh, the yeah. top of it, right? Yeah. Right, go. The funny thing is, if you if you go to YouTube and you pull up some of these songs, yeah. I forget which one it was, but it might have been this one. Somebody goes... Am I really the only person that likes this song? And you know how many like, yeah, it comments. Did, got crickets. Yes. Like nobody else. Nobody liked it. Nobody said I like it too. Elton's never it performed like that any of these songs live. was the only person who, who was, liked it. Yes. <laughs> it's born bad and born just for you, user Jenny13 <laughs> or whoever it was. Well, not a lot of lyrics. Just repeat yeah. those two words and, you over. Know, Elton shouldn't be singing this song. No. I mean, like, if Iggy Pop was singing it, you well, know, it makes sense. if, like, somebody with some bad cred was singing it. But Elton wasn't born bad. He was born Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Yeah. You know? 
He was Although not, he did have that. He that, was born good. What was that quasi gang song he had? Um, Saturday Night's All Right yeah, for Saturday, Fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he wasn't was very convincing on that <laughs> yeah. either. It was more like West Side Story. I remember kind of the stuff. first time I heard that on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was before um, it was before Yellow Brick Road had been released, yeah. and that was the advanced single. And I remember I was in my car. This is when I was so in love with Elton. I was in high school. I signed my papers in school. Dana John. Yes. And the teachers knew because I was going to marry him. That's, you know? that's really awesome. I was, it was before the uh, Rolling Stone interview. But anyway, yeah. um, so I'm riding my car and I hear the song come on. I'm like, huh, you know, if Elton ever tried to do a rock song, that'd probably be what it would sound like. You know? And then as I'm tried. listening to the song, I'm thinking, holy crap. That is Elton trying to do a rock song, you know. And then, and then I, and then they said that was the first single from Yellow Brick Road. And I'm like, oh my god, oh they my god. They better have oh a better god. single. <laughs> Luckily, they did. Couple actually. Hornbet. So um, I didn't. I cannot say that I listened that carefully. Have we had a key change yet? No, side one is... What's that? I mean, if you play it on Spotify, <laughs> you have to look over to check when you know it switches from track to track, because side one is all one piece. Side two is a little more diverse. But What's nice, though, is that the lyrics are, are so repetitive. Yeah, they're so repetitive for almost all of the songs that you can figure out which song it is right away. Yeah, it doesn't take much work, but yeah. yes... Born Bad is the chorus. And it is the entirety of the thought behind it. Well, let's move on to side two then. Rolling like thunder under the covers. Thunder the th- in the night. The thunder rolls. This was the B-side of the Johnny B. Good single. Oh, yeah. Fun. We got some nice synthesizer going on. Indeed. Know. Everybody remembers that. It was probably edited. My only has so anybody seen the movie The Apple? Yes. Yeah. That this, is this. A, this uh, make I can <laughs> beep. I can close my eyes and hour. see ent- entire. Uh, what was the Apple scenes of it? It was the movie came out in like 80, 81. It was directed by um the guy who produced like all the Chuck Bronson movies. And it's a Chuck canon movie. Oh, it's a canon it's a musical, musical it's, and it is uh, you know some sort of futuristic version of. The Adam and Eve story or something, it is it makes Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band make more sense. I'll keep that in mind. It sounds cooler than it is. <laughs> yes. Do you do you do y'all think maybe some of these songs were songs that Donna Summer rejected? Absolutely. That was kind of my because thought. it's like before this album came out, her album uh, Bad Girls yeah. came out the same year in 1979, and like sometimes when the music starts up and you're waiting for the for the singer to come in, yeah. I mean, listen, yeah, yeah, that's could have been off. You're expecting to hear Donna well, Summer's voice. You know, his first note yeah. on there is this high it's falsetto like, where you can Donna almost go. Summer. <laughs> that sounds like if Elton John were going to do a disco yeah. album. Yeah, it could have been Gloria Gaynor or somebody. Yeah, you're you're right. That first note he comes in, it's like. I don't remember Something the word. different was going to happen. But, yes. Uh, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah, no, I, Donna Summer, absolutely. Do you remember that, speaking of yet another artist that did disco, um, Steve Miller had that hit, um, 
Oh, no. Abracadabra. Oh, yes. I want to reach out and grab you. I want to reach out and grab you. And and I remember an interview interview with him, and he was like, uh, you know, so what was the inspiration? He goes, I was just trying to write a song for Donna Summer. That that was his thinking. Right, you know, and so it was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. (laughs) um, All of my, like, rock and roll heroes have expressed a fondness for disco or you know anyone who's kind of rele- relevant in the the 70s you know when disco was a thing it's like i can't really think of any of them who were like it's the worst thing ever i think that was a, a public sentiment a lot of musicians were like either indifferent or you know like billy gibbons was like yeah we thought disco was kind of neat it was you know, probably like we it did. was an easy target yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I it, it was really great for garage bands who couldn't yeah. get a gig would blame disco and then yeah. i think that was and, the, I think, and then i think it became sort of a thing where where it, it was, was cool to, to hate yeah, right? yeah. Uh, it's like but you just weren't gonna admit it no i like well you know there's the other element too is like why did why did you like disco why do a lot of people like any music at all i'm speaking of young men yeah it's because this is what the girls are listening to. And, uh, um, you know, and uh, um, uh, is that true? I don't even know if that is true. But I mean, I think there is an element with disco is that people were like, oh, girls like to dance. If I like dance this, to disco, I can do this. If that were true, then more guys would like Justin Bieber, though. Yeah, true. Uh, I think a lot of them did, but, but they quickly. Um, yeah. But then again, you know, Justin, Justin Bieber is aimed more at. Younger. I'm not talking about current. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I know what you're saying. I'm just that's a whole different animal. No, no, I know what you're saying, but but it's like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think you know, like Justin Bieber was aimed more like at you know, 13, 14 year olds. Yeah, I don't know what what's aimed at like 17, 18. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Being played at clubs. Speaking as a former girl, current woman, I guess, and I guess I'll always be a girl. Anyway, speaking as a girl. I never thought of guys doing that. Did y'all really do that? Try to figure out what we were listening to? Not on a conscious level. And then just say you liked it so that we would get with you? I had friends that did that. I know... What? (laughs) I know people who who don't really give a shit about music, but who like to dance and like to go to a place where, you know... Dancing happens. If they were... Whether they're men or women or, or, you know, anybody who wants to meet, uh, you know, uh, somebody that they would... uh, like to take get home. Yeah. Take home. You know, there, there's certain people who are like, yeah, well, I'm going to go to the bar and there's where music the playing is. in the bar, or I'm going to go to the dance club where people are dancing. It doesn't matter what the music is. And it is. doesn't really matter what the, the music is. And I, I think it's, it's interesting that we're all kind of musicians sitting around here and music is very important to us, but it, it but most deep, people deeply saddens and confuses us that to some people, music is just like yeah. sound. It's just a metronome. And, and, right, exactly. and for <laughs> those people, like, <laughs> disco is fine. <laughs> we don't understand the, the objection. It's like, why wouldn't you like it? You can go to a place and, and dance. See and, pretty people of the, you know, yeah, you pretty enjoy. People <laughs> want to <laughs> dance and be seen and dance with other people. And so as a, uh, uh, the, the utilitarian aspect of disco is uh, uh, incredibly efficient. Um, and well, and, and, you know, and from that <laughs> perspective, you know, unlike from the musician perspective, but from that perspective, why would you want to go out where no one was? 
you know, Thank you want to go where, where things are popular, right? And yeah. then and that's going to be exciting and with, fun, yeah. you know? So if you, if disco's the thing and you, you go to the disco and, and that's where everybody is and that's where you can meet lots of people and that's where you can dance and have fun. Yeah. Popularity is breeds more popularity. Right. I, exactly. I don't, I don't know that we should intellectualize the, the utilitarian factor of disco too much because hmm. if you look at it from another dare I say, intellectual viewpoint. It really cuts through all of our mental stuff. And disco is meant to connect with us on a totally primal level. Totally primal level. It's all about the beat. It's all about the movement. And it gets us back into our physical bodies and out of our heads. And in that way, you know, helps... You know, procreate the species. Yeah, it works. It's it's well, dance music. Well, and that might be why Elton John doing disco seems so much weirder than, say, someone you don't have respect for, like Bobby Sherman, who's not a you know musician. Uh, well, d- I'll bite my tongue. Yeah, Bobby Sherman. <laughs> don't be dissing on Bobby Sherman. Okay, you know, but whoever the the uh, clearly you were not his target market, as was I. <laughs> clearly, yes, but yeah. But um, but I imagine um, well, I just I'm gonna bite my tongue too. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, wait. I don't want y'all to be afraid to say anything bad about anything. No, no, I'm no, not, no. I'm not here to be like the guardian of stupid stuff. All right, I'll <laughs> I mean, just say it. I just I, I imagine a lot of people were conceived listening to Elton John, is or, um, yes. or, or their parents were listening to Elton John. Right? <laughs> Rolling I'm like sure under the covers. Speaking of which, let's move on to the next song, Spotlight. A song about being a performer, sung by a performer, and written by a non-performing producer. Cool little guitar lick. Yeah. I was going to say another thing on the bass that is a little bit annoying about this is that Marcus is an absolute badass, and I've listened carefully for some really signature Marcusy things on here, and they're not like they have even even the most interesting guy on this is they turned the knob it in. <laughs> down to <laughs> they turned the knob all the way down and then turned it up one click, and that was fine. Yeah, I mean, it's slightly better than, or slightly different from the last one. Ooh, yes, hand claps. I do think side two is better than side one. Yeah. I think the, you're the right. The songs are shorter I and mean, they're a little more diverse. But Spotlight, I really want to shine tonight. Yeah. I well. think we should make an effort to at least bob our heads while we're listening to yes, it. Yes, because it, it is. Might, is this on the soundtrack to the movie help. Spotlight? <laughs> um, yes. Ah! Right as Michael Keaton is busting all those... Uh, it uh, should be. Child it's molesting a badass montage. <laughs> They couldn't get the rights. <laughs> they couldn't. <laughs> well, wait for Spotlight the musical. <laughs> that was, uh, well, you know, we, we've already discussed how similar all of these songs are. Yes. This one definitely um, popped a little. Yeah. It, it would have been nice to have more change earlier because, I mean, at this point, we're, we're two-thirds of the way done with this album. I'm like, eh. You got to do something more than so, that. So, what do you did? Did um, uh, have any of you? Did any of you buy this album when it came out? Uh, or, or no? I know. I, did I know not. Logan and didn't. I bought, but, um, 
I was not alive, and I'm confident <laughs> that if I was at the time, I would be blasting Tarkas in my room Tarkus. while people were disco dancing. <laughs> well, I had bought all of my first Elton John album that I bought was Hunky Chateau. Yeah. And then, of course, Don't Shoot Me. I'm only the piano player. And then, uh, you know, that's when I became like a complete, total, utter fanatic. And that's a good place to start. And then I went back and bought the earlier ones. Yeah. And I continued to buy all of his albums right up through Blue Moves. Yeah. I remember I bought Blue Moves, but I didn't buy it the day it came out. You know, and yeah. I bought it and I didn't really listen to it that much. And I feel personally responsible for it only hitting number three. And then that was the last one I bought. I never bought Single, Single Man. I never bought... Because he, he had a... I mean, as as bad as this album is, he had some mm, struggles in the 80s, shall we say. They were not yeah, and kind I, to him. It's, I don't remember hearing anything I liked right up until The One. Remember when yeah, he released was like, Baby, You're the One yeah. in the 90s? Late didn't 90s. he have the nineties? That was MTV a really good song. He might have. Beautiful. Yeah. And um, oh, he had he did some stuff in the eighties. Like, yeah, and he did I'm the Lion standing, King. Yeah, I'm still standing. That's which what I, I was thinking don't about. like. But the Lion King, yeah, yeah the Lion King kind of put him back in the back in the game. You know, it was like, yeah. oh yeah, man, he's still oh, yeah, got. I he it. can uh, write great stuff. But even that's a kids movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not a kids movie. It's uh, not. It's a Disney it's movie. A, yeah, it's, it's a, a Disney it's movie. It's a great movie. Come on, people. I, I, I haven't seen it, so that's there you go. Oh, you you should you yeah. should. It's good. It's really good. It's he good. also did Aida or Aida. Oh, or that wasn't Aida. good. Yeah. I was all excited to go see that. That was his original um, idea. His yeah. Opera with Tim thing, Rice. Rock opera thing yeah. that he did with Tim Rice. And I went and saw it live, and I was like, this will be great. Now, what could possibly be greater than this? And the answer is just about anything. There you go. <laughs> it was like, there was, there was this, you know, how, you know how they always structure, like, yeah. before the intermission, the best songs, that song yeah. right before intermission. I don't remember what it was, but I remember that song was good. Yeah. But... Not Everything <laughs> else was just nothing. No, if you want to see a good musical with the lyrics by Tim Rice, you got to see the uh, the one he did with the guys from ABBA, Chess. Now that's a that's a good one, huh? Oh, I got to One night see in that. Bangkok. Yeah, it's all oh, about yeah. like oh, Bobby Fisher, but ABBA. nobody. Yeah, it's that is a really good. It's well, sort of forgotten. What but, a topic for a musical. Yeah, and they don't use names, so one is just the Russian and one is just the American, and it's all about. What? Whoa, wow. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And Can't the, the big hit, up. One Night in Bangkok, comes from that album. Wow. Okay. And it's all about him going to Bangkok and not being seduced by all the, the exotic locale and just concent, you know, concentrating on the queens on the board and not the queens around him. It's That's pretty relatable. Wow. It is worth a, a so. check. It, it died a quick and fast death on, on Broadway, but I played the hell out of that soundtrack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're an interesting dude, Scott. <laughs> I got you. I'm gonna shine tonight. Yeah. Well, let's not forget that the Lion King, you know, ran on Broadway and off Broadway forever. Now I didn't know oh, that, it was that really it was a good live. Yeah, yeah, it's really good live. It, it may still be on Broadway. Yeah, I, you can go see it live somewhere. Hopefully, they'll do a movie right of it now. where they use CGI to make the actors look like cats, and that would be great. It wow. was. It was With the, the ha- Hamilton of its day. <laughs> yeah. It was. In another like fifteen years, are we going to get like animated versions of the live action slash CGI remakes of animated? Yes, move on. Will be returned back to its original form. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's go to the, s- <laughs> the shortest song on the album, "Street Boogie," the penultimate tune. <laughs> 
I actually like this song. So and bad. now I'm wondering if it's because it's the shortest one. That might be part but of I it. But I actually like this one. Yeah. I like anything I mean, with the word good. boogie in yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, boogie. I think it's got, you know, more interesting percussion for one thing. It's the cowbell that's speaking to you. Yeah. Then again, it may be Stockholm. Or, or the <laughs> lyrics. Street boogie on the boogie street. Well, where I else mean, would you boogie? I mean, if you're who boogieing Who needs on... Bernie Toppin when you got that? Yeah. Uh, they just don't have synthesizers like that no more. <laughs> Uh, that, whatever that burbling yeah. guitar line or whatever it is Making in the background, that's that's really cool. You know, for for an album that Elton, you know, put very little effort into, he does sing pretty well. It's not, you know, the vocals aren't ha- tossed off by any stretch. I mean, they don't feel emotionally connected, but he does sing quite well on this album, which almost detracts from the song. <laughs> That part right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even sure what that is. Clavs. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's clavinet. Clavinet, yeah. What a great instrument. Yeah, it we is. We don't hear enough clavinet. They're, they're, they're expensive and fragile. You know, I have one on my phone. The best clavinet band ever was NRBQ. Ah. Best bar band in America. We don't have them on our list, but I don't know if they've... They, they were not big on the actual recording. I don't know if they ever went, if they ever strayed from their formula. No, either. they knew so, what, they were like ACDC. They knew what they were doing, and they were right, not going to well, yes, move yeah. anywhere from that. If you know what you're doing, you Just, should do it. Yeah. I should have been following along on tempos on this a little bit more, but they, they all are kind of right just south of like 120 that is sort of the disco standard is 120 i think so or maybe I mean, 118 they're, they're like one 112 to like 118 kind of yeah range i think they're all very they're there's not much variation in tempo yeah nor was there supposed key to be or instrumentation you know the clavinet was a nice addition so could here. this be why um, i mean these are a little bit slow for disco yeah in a lot of cases. Just, speed is that up. why the feel fe- seems like Kind of low budget, <laughs> like yeah, knock, knockoffy kind of. You can't quite get in the groove. Yeah, that's you, why this one you can boogie to a little bit. That you know? is, you know, there's a lot of music that I've. Um, quick digression, but it goes back to the like sort of feeling music more than listening thinking. to it, thinking it. Um, but uh, one of my original uh, music teachers uh, really didn't understand these grindcore bands that were a big deal for a while when I was first playing in bands. And uh, um, he came to a show. Yeah, I played in a weird punk band, and they we always ended up playing with grindcore bands because it's all there was in Baltimore for a while. Maybe still. I don't know. Um, but uh, he was like, I don't understand this. It's really – and he was an open-minded dude. He's just like, I don't understand why this music exists. He came to one of our shows and the grindcore band that played after us, you know, starts their set and the circle pit begins and it's just mayhem. And I see my like my, you know, bass teacher standing in the back of the room, like kind of smiling. And I was like, went up to him. I was like, what? What's up? He's like, oh, I get it. It's this is a soundtrack for a controlled riot. So some people can <laughs> let like, like, and like the breakdown Control. is so you can pick the people who've fallen down up off the floor and you can catch your breath and get ready for the next crazy bit where it's a riot again. 
and it's and it's very structured and it's very obviously for that. He's like, I understand it now. Like this is great, and and so I think like a lot of music has like a, a utilitarian purpose that's not supposed to be, but you know, yeah, like intellectualized or or thought of. But it's it's for an activity, um, uh, you know. Uh, classic seventies rock and roll is for, uh, you know, uh, uh, drinking a case of beer in the back of a, a station wagon as you cruise the neighborhood yeah. and, <laughs> or whatever, you know, however you get into it. And I, I think sometimes when I listen, I find myself thinking sometimes when I listen to music that I don't quite like, it's like, the fuck is this for? Like, what are you supposed to it's do not with this? For you. <laughs> and I think as this is like maybe a little bit, not quite as amped up as some of the disco that I really dig. I just kind of wonder like how you're supposed to fully get into it. And I don't know that that's something. There you go. I don't think it was anyone's best effort. No. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean it shouldn't exist, but it means it, Probably should. <laughs> well, I think Elton was sort of saying, well, if it's disco, I don't have to put my best work into it. It'll be disco and it'll sell. Right. And the disco I think guys he were was saying, just like, oh, this will be a snap. Yeah. And the you disco know, musicians were like. I got the king of like, disco production and, yeah. the king of, and the king of pop. Yeah. How could it, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. But each one was sort of depending on the other to do the to selling. Carry it, and yeah. to do yeah, the heavy they both lifting. sort of. Not right. every not every mashup is you know the, the peanut butter and chocolate or whatever you know it's like sometimes this it's is peanut butter and guacamole you know, and yeah guacamole or something. Mm. <laughs> so guacamole and butter around the same time other other bands you know other very popular British rock groups you yes. know, Elton John being one but like the Who were sort of winding down did they have any disco things going on the synthesizer crap that Pete started pushing was <laughs> was approaching. Yeah, was, yeah, Bob uh, O'Reilly was, was. Yeah, but Keith but that Moon was, that was much it. earlier, though. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah. squeeze boxes kind of sort of. No, I can see. Yeah, but like if you if you look at like the other like in the seventies, my personal three music gods were Elton, Alice, and David, as in Bowie. Yeah. Right. So if you like, let's just and I know it's not compar- It's not fair to compare anyone to Bowie yeah. in terms of like creative evolution. Except maybe Davy but Jones. While, but, while, <laughs> but while Elton John was doing this in 1979, David Bowie was finishing up the third album from his Berlin era yeah. with Brian Eno. And he put out The Lodger in 1979. Is that the stuff he did with Iggy Pop? Or? Yeah, it was around that time. Around yeah. that time, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, the idiot and, you know. I am a yeah, DJ. So, what I say. I mean, and you could yeah. almost trace them back to where, you know, in the early <laughs> 70s, they were both kind of more in the same lane. Yeah, contemporary. Well, except that Elton's were all going to number one. Yeah. You but, know, but. Um, I, well, I had the same thought it was. Bowie Bowie tries to do disco and nails it and it, it in 1975. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In 1975, <laughs> four years before this, he came out and did Young Americans, yeah. which everybody was like, "What? I thought he was a sci-fi guy." Yeah, yeah. And he comes out and does that, and well, we're like, "What?" But you know what? Yeah. This is really good. And of course, and then he just uses that as a diving board and goes nuts well, and starts getting with the caveat everything. that yeah, it is super unfair. You know, unless you're a prince, you know, you can't really, like, Bowie's not a great comparison for, you know, humans. 
Ah, but uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> John Lennon right. was hanging out with both Elton and David Bowie yeah, around this time. I was going to say that, that Elton was definitely right. he fit in with that whole yeah. Milieu, Elton's friends right? with yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. When, oh, yeah. when Bowie jumps genres, he's all the way in. He's like all in. Yeah, and this feels like Elton kind of dipping his toe in. Yeah, yeah. But why did he do a whole album? This is still the conundrum. Well, he a whole album. You gotta remember that. He didn't really do this album. Right, he right. didn't really do it. He put his name on this album. He sang on it. That's all he did. Yeah. And and most of these songs are like three verses, like no chorus. Yeah. The chorus might be the name of the song over and over and over. Might be. The majority <laughs> of the song is, yeah, you can bet your ass that the song title Born is, Born is in there. Born street Born 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 on a boogie street. Wait, wait, what's the song called? It's Boogie Street, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Born Bad. Yeah. yeah. There's collectively like six minutes of, of, of ideas, you know, lyrically on this whole thing. I, Maybe. And, and someone got paid to do that, too. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think there's a scene in, in Rocket Man, very brief, where they're like, oh, you've gone off the deep end, and you hear Victim of Love in the background, and that's it. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's the best damn book, song on here. <laughs> so, so, so I have this book, Yes, me, me, by Elton John, that came out last year, and my yeah. mom got it for me for Christmas. And I went to the index, Yeah, and Victim of Love is not even listed in the <laughs> index of the book. <laughs> Wow. So, but I did manage to kind of find where he ta- where he writes like about a, one page in this yeah. whole like massive book about how he'd been friends with Pete Ballot and he was dying to get out of his unique contract and yeah. so he thought this won't be hard. And it wasn't hard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's not it it was it was it was not a it was not a passion project by any stretch. Right. It did not warrant like, a yeah. listening. I heard this new music. I just have to do it. No, it's, I heard this new music is making money. I just have to get out of this contract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's play that. Because at that point, God knows he didn't need more money. No, he was, he was doing well. So <laughs> This was the first single. And it did chart. It did chart. I mean, not as... I can't number 31. 31? Yeah. Okay, so... Hey, if I had a 31 on the top 100, I'd be uh, pretty damn happy. Yeah. And it's funny, because I remember when this song came out, you know, I thought, what the what the crap is that? What is Elton doing? I hate this song. But I got to say, you know, after listening to the entire album, sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah. You know? It's the best song <laughs> like, on the album. If you, if, if you take it totally out of context, in Elton's body of work, yeah, it's a it's piece the worst of crap. song on his greatest but if you, hits. If you've just it's the best song on this album. through this entire freaking album, yeah. you're so happy to get to the last song. Yes. Pretty killer synth lead. I was just yeah, going to say, I was that, just thinking that's it, it should piercing. have been done by a theremin instead. <laughs> it, it, but like, that chorus that starts out this thing, it sounds like they pressed the mute track. Like that, like whoever was the lead vocal on this yeah. got muted, and they when they like mixed it down or something because it just seems like it should be Donna Summer or some like a, like a disco diva. And I mean, can't you hear Donna Summer yeah, singing this? You can, it sounds like something is there's an ingredient missing from this. Victim of love. I can't quite make out what he's Irene saying. Is it, is it victim of love? Yes, he is a victim of love. Mm. Mm. 
of love. And that's the title of the song. There you go. And the title of the album. <laughs> Available now on UNI Records. Not to be confused with the Eagles song, Victim of Love. Well. Well, this is not a, that anybody ever would confuse. Yeah, them. we we all try and pretend the eagles don't exist, and we are happier for it. <laughs> right. we, we, which we try. Why was this chosen as the song that would be the single and the title? Yeah, you want to you want to put your best song last. last. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The grand <laughs> finale, as it were. Yeah, and and open with an eight minute Chuck Berry cover. I now think. that is uh, the whole thing. I, you should know, be played I wonder backwards. if they. I wonder if they just if they had you know the album is seven songs long. Yeah. So they had six leftover Donna Summer disco songs, and it wasn't quite enough. Yeah. So they needed one more song, and probably Elton said, "Let's do Johnny Be Good," and they said, "Okay, but it has to be eight minutes." Yeah, we got. I mean, I think I figured out how, out. how this all. happened. Happens. Yeah, because the album itself is barely 35 minutes. For that, we can all be grateful. But yes, the, it's there's not a lot of meat on this bone. <laughs> if you, I mean, I'm staring at the iTunes uh, uh, screen, and it has the the Johnny Be Good cover for some inexplicable reason uh, as the most popular. <laughs> I think a so lot of people like, download it thinking, oh, Elton John singing Johnny Be Good and not the, knowing... <laughs> It's the first song and the last song, you know, on the, according to iTunes are, you know, the most played. Yes. And, and I think it, it would appear that the people who bought this or streamed this, listen to that first song. Cause it's the first song and, and go, Oh, it's, and then try to find a decent song and arrive at the Victor title Love. song and go, ah, I guess this is. This is as this good is as all. It, this is going to be the high point. Huh? Well, I mean, it's just. I think "Victim of Love" does appear on, uh, you know, collections, like greatest hit collections. Ah, that's okay, yeah, right. I mean, that might be it. Yeah, I just it 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 is a great uh, 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 visual indication that um, <laughs> there's a whole lot of filler in this in this guy for, <laughs> for even a seven track album. There's a yeah. lot of filler. Uh huh. Well, the thing about Elton John, I think his the stuff before this yeah. um, that, that I think a lot of it's compelling in part because you, when you listen to it, it makes you feel something. Yeah. And it also in, in it, uh, it does so in a, um, um, you're not really sure exactly perhaps what the song is about explicitly, but it seems to impart meaning to you. Yeah. There, there's sort of a kind of a vagueness there that also makes you, believe that that there's something very deep going on yeah it doesn't sound like non sequiturs but it, right. it's not spelled out and, and and i'm not i'm i'm saying that's a that's a really appealing quality because it makes you feel like you're listening to something important or that you've discovered something that is that is um really amazing and you want to you want to you want to listen to it again you want to share it it feels intimate and personal. Right, right. And and this does none of that. Yes. That's a really good point. And that's another reason why this sticks out, as you said in your intro, like a sore thumb. Yeah. A very sore gangrenous thumb, <laughs> I might add. Because you're right, Elton's songs, you know, and it's probably also I mean, even, partly because of Bernie's lyrics. Yeah. They had depth. You even know? goofy stuff like Crocodile Rock, you know, at least... 
felt like a, a fun, sincere, goofy song. And, not, and it was it was nostalgia, yeah, you know? It was Benny and the Jets It or was whatever. right yeah. at that huge nostalgia wave in the 70s when we all oh, loved the 70s. The 70s were so into the 50s. That's a whole they were. other good Happy thing. Happy days. <laughs> yes, good thing there isn't any misplaced nostalgia afoot these days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although I, will, I do have one major quibble with an Elton John lyric that has bugged me since I was like 10 and I first heard it. And like, keep singing about, I guess that's, why they call it the blues, but he never explains why they call it the blues. He explains what they call the blues, <laughs> but there's nothing about what happens that has anything to do with the color blue. And it always bugged me. I'm like, are the, the sheets that she's rolling on blue colored? Is that's why they call it the blues? I don't understand why they call it the blues. I, it, it bugged me as a kid and I still have never gotten over it. Now it's going to bug me. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, the lyric the that I always thought was important. weird don't let the sun go down on me. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's weird for a lot of reasons. And, and, we, and we then. need to, <laughs> you know, and it's real important, you know, that sun is S-U-N in this context. Yeah. But I mean, but, you know, but I mean, what, 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 what does that even mean? It's like, do you Kill turn into a I... werewolf after the sun sets? Or yes. do you not, are you afraid of the dark? Or is it some or, reference to the British Empire that you're just yeah, the keep sun going never around sets. the world? I, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, I, That's a good question. You know, no, again, you were it. saying his his lyrics imply meaning without spelling it out. So there's right, right. Little, there may be some yeah plot well, holes so, in there. Right, right, and 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 as there are in a lot of popular music, but it, but yes. it, but it, it it compels you. Yes, right. You know, it's like like I I feel. I feel somehow enlightened, whether I actually am or not, yes. right? By by listening to to the the music, you know, and listening to to the lyrics, especially how he sings them, you know. So I think the lyrics are are very important, but it's also yeah, he sings Elton it John's like it means delivery, something too. Right? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't seem to, you know, like I, I agree a hundred percent that his singing is very competent on this album. It just doesn't seem. Um, like he cares what he's singing exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it, and how can he? It's just born bad, born bad, born bad. He did bad. sing it good, but he was just obviously the wrong person to sing it. Yeah. He doesn't go with disco. It doesn't match. You yeah. you know, Donna Summer could have sang it and had it fit with the music. Yeah. He just Elton John and disco just don't go together. Indeed. They just don't. He sang beautifully, but eh, didn't work. He did uh, beat up Miles Davis uh, to steal his sunglasses for the cover. <laughs> <laughs> gonna say yeah, that's, that, that cover is is even a bit. It's disturbing. not helping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just uh, you know a very close up of Elton with a black and white photo with a, a a an expression that conveys just how much he cares about this album. <laughs> kind of, <sighs> yeah. Well. Um, Unless there's anything else we can say, I guess. Any final thoughts? I mean, where does this fit in the Elton John canon? I mean, should we even consider it an Elton John album or just pretend it doesn't exist? It was his 13th album. Yeah. You know, and that might yeah. explain. By that some point, stuff. yeah. So maybe it's better to treat it like a hotel, right? It There's was, just no 13th floor. Just go from 12 to 14. <laughs> I would say it was the beginning of the end, but was actually step number two of the end. Cause I think single man was, you know, yeah. when he split with Bernie, yeah. that was the, that was the thing. When he split with Bernie, it was all downhill from there. Yeah. Why did they do that? 
They, they, you know, they, they said there wasn't any big falling out. And if you've seen the movie, yeah. no, and if just... you've seen them accepting awards lately, they're still close. They're still great friends. They've always been friends. But, I mean, can you imagine going through that decade of the 70s being like the kings of the 70s? Yeah. And you just... And you're starting to wonder what would I be like, you know? What what, yeah. what what else is there? What else can I do? They just wanted a break. They wanted to expand and try other things, and you know, Elton tried other things. You this was another thing he tried. This was another thing he tried, and you know, and ultimately they wound up coming back together. And I was going to say, I think they fairly soon after this, they were at least. You know, not full albums, but at least a couple of Bernie songs on every Elton John album since, really. Kind of like Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Hal David, yeah. Yeah. Didn't they split for a while? I don't know. Something I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, all songwriting partnerships split after a while. I mean. But the same sort of thing, right? One yeah. guy writes the music, when the, other the melody, writes, the yeah. other writes the, uh, yeah, well, the lyrics. Yeah. 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 Kind of like um, Gershwin and. You know his brother Garcia and Hunter. From there you the go. Grateful Dead, right? Yeah. And I would also just like to say, if if anybody out there hasn't seen Rocket Man, the movie about Elton John, the bio movie, it's really, really good. And it it you're right. It only touches on this particular album for a millisecond, which is probably you know which is accurate as it is in the book. You know, but it's a really good movie, and I highly recommend it, especially in terms of the friendship between Elton and Bernie. And that's the docudrama. So that yeah, the, well, it's a musical starring Taron Egerton, who well, it's going to be Tom Hardy um, at first. Amazing. That would have been interesting, but it's 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 a surreal musical biography. Yeah, it's that's, much better than say Bohemian Rhapsody, which was just what you thought it would be, but it's really good. And it talks a whole lot about Elton's struggles with drugs and with alcohol and with relationships. Elton did drugs. So it's and like the Motley Crue one. Yes. It's, it's the like dirt. When I was a, when I was Raunchier. a, when I was a teenager in the seventies and I was in love with Elton and Elton was Elton posters were floor yeah. to ceiling, corner to corner in my room and um, I read every single copy of Rolling Stone, Zoo World, Circus. Cream. And Cream, my oh, yeah. favorite, Lester Banks. I love oh, yeah. him. And I thought, I, and when I went in to see Rocketman, I thought, sorry, any stuff yeah. I know. I know all this. I didn't know any of that. Turns out they didn't really print that in the magazines back in the day. Well, for good reason, probably. Yeah. So <laughs> probably Elton asked them or his management asked them. Well, they, they had a symbiotic relationship, yeah. right? You know, they. If Elton's famous, we get to sell more copies, and we sell more copies if Elton's famous. Right, right. Yeah, so. Well, um, do you want to tell the people how they can follow you, what next big event is coming out? This will probably drop near the end of March, I think. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I'm Dana, and I own Dana Kane Events, and I run uh, large-scale festivals and events in Colorado. Next up is... Well, I'm kind of calling it the Denver Mega Show now because I merged together the Toy and Doll Super Show and the Vintage Voltage Expo. Sweet. And then we invited our friends in from the Colorado Guitar Show. So, so all three of those shows. So if you like toys or guitars or anything that you plug in. Vintage audio, <laughs> right. Uh, gear. We're at the Denver Mart on April 19th. And I also do four chocolate festivals a year. So if you eat chocolate, so it's a, pretty much anyone will end up at one of your events. Right, right. And, but the Unicorn Festival is the really great new one. And that's like where you can go 
you know, ride a unicorn, hang out with a mermaid, visit with Disney princesses, and all of it. And it's all at DanaCaneEvents.com. It's nice to know unicorns are still around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. We have 23 of them in five different corrals. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, they were getting rare for a while. They were. They were. But, but you really should, now they're well done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> Sunday, April 15th, at, uh, um, the High Dive in Denver. Uh, there's Gort versus Goom with Balonium. Uh, yeah, ooh. former uh, g- guests on the podcast. And Dan Celine. Don't miss that one. Damn. All right. Um, anything else we need to plug or mention? But we're on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. We've got over 200 members now. So, you know, you can comment on this episode and tell us all the things we got wrong. I, I don't know if I'll read it, but I will. I will read it. Uh, who am I kidding? And uh, <laughs> tune in next week when we try and figure out who this artist is. 